Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. I am honored to welcome back an old friend, Francis X. Roca of the Wall Street Journal, uh, one of the best Vaticanistas that there is. Um, and he's on Twitter, at Francis X. Roca, R-O-C-C-A. And, uh, and he is on top of everything that's going on at the Holy See and really um, an extension beyond that. And his latest, um, his latest report, which was on Friday, uh, actually kind of speaks to that, which is the anger that uh, Central and Eastern uh, European Catholics are expressing over Pope Francis's remarks about, you know, Peter the Great and Catherine the Great, um, maybe not Ivan the Terrible, but um, <laughs> Russian, um, you know, Russian imperialism at a time when Russian imperialism is manifesting itself in an invasion of at least a partly Catholic country, uh, Ukraine. Um, Frank, first off, thanks for doing this. I know that you're a busy man, um, but this is uh, this is becoming a, a real problem, I think, uh, for the Catholic Church in relation to um, uh, bonds of affection that John Paul II helped to build, you know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Well, first of all, thanks, Ed. Glad to be here. It's always an honor and a pleasure. Um, yeah, that's right. This uh, latest remarks that the Pope made in late August were only the latest uh, blow. I think that people, certainly in Ukraine, there's no question that people in Ukraine, no one denies that, Catholics and non-Catholics are very, very disappointed by the Pope's stance on the war and toward Russia. But uh, it's also in uh, Poland and uh, Lithuania, which are majority Catholic countries, uh, Croatia's majority Catholic country, uh, but uh, but also in other and also in other countries, uh, the Catholics are, are, are in particular are very very distressed, and uh, they tend to say, "Well, the Pope doesn't understand Europe. He doesn't understand Russia," uh, and um, I think they also see it as uh, well. I think you have to go back to what the Pope understands about this war, and I think. The way I put it simply is that the Pope sees this as a war between the United States and Russia, between two empires, uh, between NATO and, and you know, i.e. the U.S. and Russia. And the Ukrainians are the victims. They're caught in the middle. So that's how he's able to say always every day and no doubt very deeply, sincerely, how, the, how, uh, how sad he is for mar what he calls martyred Ukraine. Uh, but at the same time, uh, to not put all the blame on Russia, uh, because he, he he has suggested more than several times that Russia was provoked by NATO expansion. Uh, and um, that's why uh, Archbishop, Major Archbishop Shevchuk, the leader of the Greek Catholics in uh, Ukraine, who is an old friend of the Pope, he knew him from Argentina, because uh, they were both bishops there years ago. And uh, <clears throat> he says the Pope is an Argentinian, and that explains his attitude toward Europe and the United States. Uh, he's very uh, mistrustful. So you hear this again, talking to people in these countries, I heard this over and over again. They all said, even people who are kind of trying to defend the Pope, they're all saying, well, he's a South American. He's not a European. And so I think that's their, but they're, it's frustrating for them because they believe that the, the result is that he's not standing up for, he's not identifying clearly who's the aggressor and who's the victim. He's not, he's, that's what they keep saying. You know, um, Frank, sometimes when I'm talking with um, friends of mine who are not Catholics, who, um, you know, ask me about the 
doctrine of papal uh, papal infallibility, I usually have to come up with you know sort of reductio ad absurdum explanations to to explain this doctrine, which is that if the Pope tells you that the Cleveland Browns are going to win the Super Bowl, that is not an infallible statement. You are free to disagree with that, and probably for very good reasons. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, you know when the Pope speaks on matters of doctrine, in you know in conjunction with the you know the entirety uh, of the you know, Episcopal um, Synod, uh, that's when infallibility on doctrine takes place. I think I have a new explanation here, which is, uh, you know, when the Pope sp speaks about Russian imperialism as a political matter, he's not acting infallibly. He's acting as a, a, a normal, fallible human being doing fallible things. And this is, I think, a pretty good example of this, is that of this difference, is that this is not a doctrinal issue. And it's arguably maybe something that um, Pope Francis should have recognized and done some more work on prior to speaking out. Um, and that has, seems to be sort of a continuing thing with this particular Pope. You had two preceding Popes who were very, very careful and very, very particular about you know, pronouncements, statements, um, and, and were very careful about language to make sure that they were not misunderstood. And Benedict, even with that, occasionally had issues with things that he said in public. Um, Pope Francis is a pastoral, very obviously a pastorally oriented person. And in this case, seems to be speaking a little bit, you know, out of turn, and maybe with not recognizing the fact that maybe he doesn't understand, you know, the entire context of how this plays in Europe as opposed to how it played in South America, you know, during the Cold War. Yeah, I think there's something to that. I mean, there's the old crack in Washington about that a gaffe is when a politician tells the truth. So maybe you can adopt that to an ecclesial realm. And so for religious leaders, I don't know. But but I think he, I think he knows what he thinks. And I think that, that, that you know, it's, it's not that if he he needs to sit around with uh, sort of, you know, experts in international relations and history and so forth, and then he would change his mind. I doubt that. He's 86 years old. He's been around. He has a view of the world. On the other hand, he probably would formulate differently what he said to the Russian Catholic youth at the end of August that, that, that was the latest problem. And I think, I think what he was trying to do was, it's interesting, but I think he was being perhaps a little bit, maybe a little... He was overthinking it, but he was talking, let's remember, it's interesting, it's not an excuse, but it's interesting, I think. He was talking to Russian Catholic youth. Now, Catholics are a real minority in Russia. Uh, there are about a million, all told, of various kinds, and uh, in, a, in a country of, what is it, 250 million or, or 300 or something like that. But in any case, and more to the point, I think there is definitely a strong idea, and Putin certainly has, has, uh, has emphasized this, that to be Russian is to be orthodox, right? And, it, it, you know, that, the, 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 it's very much part of the Russian identity. So he was telling these Russian Catholics, I think Russian Catholics, by the way, are often like ethnically German or, or Polish or something. But in any case, uh, he was trying to tell them, you are Russian. You are Russian. Because that's what he was saying. That you are your heritage, Russia's heritage is your heritage. So he was, and I think he was trying to say, you know, you you fit in. So to try to smooth that over, and then he, what he does is he says, oh, he thinks Peter the Great and Catherine the Great were known for looking west, right? They wanted to build strong ties with the West in the 18th century. So I think that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to say, well, look at Peter the Great and Catherine the Great. They were really Russian. They were emperors. They were czars. And yet they were also 
build a bridge to the West. But he really tied himself into in knots because, of course, they were very imperialistic. And and then and and then when he tried to explain it a few days later, he said, "Well, I was thinking of Dostoevsky. It was in the 19th century." So anyway, uh, that, that, sorry if we've gone a bit far afield, but I think he probably. Oh, I think what we're talking about. I, I think that's. I think you're right. In other words, uh, all that to say, if he had, if he, if he, if he had known how it was going to play, he probably wouldn't have put it that way. Let's let's assume that. But when he says things about NATO provoked this by uh, by barking at the gates of Russia, which he said several times, he knows what he's saying, and he knows he knows it's 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 not it doesn't go over well, uh, and 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 he obviously doesn't care, and he didn't he didn't he didn't uh, yeah yeah sorry. I mean that's a political argument, and I, I'm not saying that. Popes don't have yeah. room to make political arguments. They do, but when they're but when, when they're making political arguments, they're not speaking with the infallible authority of the Holy See. They're speaking under their own authority, and um, and and to whatever extent that that carries weight in in you know any pope's any pope's personal weight in politics is going to be fairly large, right? It just I mean just because they're pope, but. It's curious. It's a curious thing because, again, you know, we had centuries of Italian popes who were very well versed in, you know, European politics. Some more well versed than maybe they should have been, <laughs> if you go back a few centuries. Um, but uh, then you, you, we followed up with two popes from, arguably, Central Europe. Poland is maybe Eastern Europe. It could be, you know, legitimately called Eastern Europe, but also still very well versed in what was going on on the ground in the cold war and the the two you know em empires if you want to refer to the us as an empire um who didn't make this mistake and it it leads me to wonder whether or not this type of thing and maybe even pope francis's sort of predilection for speaking off the cuff and and being less careful in his language is resonating among the cardinals at the at the vatican who you know pope francis being 86 they're obviously going to have to start thinking at some point about what they're going to want in in the next pontificate whether or not that this is something that is going to percolate or whether or not people even think about this until after, until the time comes to even consider that question. Well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, the, the, uh, um, Benedict, of course, there were a number of occasions where he provoked a really strong reaction, negative reaction with certain statements he made that had a geopolitical or, or a political, the most famous right. is the Reagan's Regensburg address, which was not off the cuff, it was it was it was it was carefully written, and right. and, and and where he did, and it, it's still if you read it, I mean, it, it's not a it, it obscured the real message of the of the of the address, which was about all kinds of other things, but that part where he did quote a very inflammatory medieval description of Islam uh, and of the Prophet Muhammad, which created a big, and I'm sure. I, I'm sure because he because afterwards he he did he did walk it back a bit uh, that that he would have done that differently if he could have gone and redone it and there were other occasions that there, and whether or not you think the reactions were fair uh, they, they 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 were negative I mean for example right. he talked 
protection of minorities, Christian minorities in Egypt. This was a much lesser uh, incident, but which, which from a Western point of view was seen quite reasonable because Christians are a minority in Egypt. But in, in that context, it had a different resonance where it made it sound like they were marginalized, whereas the Egyptians pride themselves, at least in principle, on the, the cops are integrated. And so that went over really badly. He was criticized by Muslims and by Christians in Egypt. So so in other words, it, people step in it even when they, when they have well-prepared statements. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the the, what, the people we talked to, did, no one suggested that this is driving people away from the Catholic Church or anything in Eastern Europe or Central Europe. That they, that they're, but it, it, it's it's just Francis himself that they're very disappointed in. Well, and again, I mean, I think that this is, like you said, I mean, I'm sure if I went back and looked for it, there'd be something that John Paul II said that didn't go over well. And maybe you have a better sense of that than I do because you're a lot closer to it. Again, popes make mistakes, right? They don't make mistakes on doctrine when they're in union with the bishops, but they do make mistakes in other phases of their lives. This happens to be one of them. Um, but it is sort of this consistent thing. And it's been, it's been a, um, as, you know, it's been a continuing thing. Obviously, he believes that this is sort of a pox upon both houses uh, thing from his perspective as um, somebody who grew up in South America, uh, came of age in South America during the, you know, this, this, you know, two superpower uh, Cold War environment and sees it as just an extension of both sides being bad. Uh, Lithuania, I mean, you have the, uh, you have the quote from the, um, from the person in Lithuania who said, if it wasn't for NATO, it would have been us. It wouldn't have been Ukraine. And I think that that's something that is, um, you know, worthy of, you know, it's a worthy addition to that. Um, because this is a real, this is a real concern. I mean, and it's not, this isn't the first time that um, Putin has done this. He did this in Georgia in 2008. He did it to Ukraine in 2014. Uh, and this is a full-out conquest invasion, and one would expect the Catholic Church to have something to say about that. And I think that the intention here is to be open to being a what's the word for this? A um, you know a uh, non-biased um, uh, party, you know, neutral. To, a neutral mediator, right? Is to leave the Vatican open in a traditional role for the Vatican to be a place of neutral mediation between warring parties. Um, but I don't know yeah. that that's, that's not, hasn't been successful so far. And I don't know that it's, that there's even anything percolating along those lines. Have you heard anything percolating along those lines? No, no, neither side is interested in mediation. And why would the Vatican be the mediator? I mean, uh, uh, but uh, the um, couple of things also, that's not, that's a tradition from the 19th century, basically. I mean, from when, right. the, when the Holy See ceased to be a real uh, geopolitical power of any consequence or, uh, at all, when it ceased in the 19th century, when it was lost the papal states. And so that's not, that's not a very old tradition, uh, but okay. And neutrality, of course, uh, you know, uh, has not uh, had uh, a uniformly uh, uh, celebrated history. Uh, Pius XII is a controversy that keeps coming up over and over and over again. And one of the arguments made is that he was trying to be to, to maintain a kind of neutrality there during the Second World War, which doesn't look so great in retrospect. But I, I'd say it's interesting. One thing is that the Pope, with his emphasis on empires, in a curious way, seems to almost, from one point of view, 
underrate the importance of, you know, sovereign nation states. I mean, exactly. The Lithuanian former ambassador of the Holy See was saying, you know, if not, we were all thinking, what, what is he talking about NATO being a provocation? We need NATO to protect us. And and the, and and from the Ukrainian point of view, I think that his analysis that oh these are just two superpowers, poor poor martyred Ukraine. If only these people would stop. But they they don't see it, they don't see it that way. They see it themselves as they're defending their country against an unjust aggressor. And and so no, they don't want to make peace where they give up part of their territory uh, that was taken from them aggressively. And just to say, well, we have to understand from Russia's point of view. Uh, so it's funny they don't feel that he's uh, identifying with with them. And and a number of people did say to us, yes, John Paul was was better on understanding the idea of the integrity of the sovereign state and and, and why that's important. Uh, so paradoxically, perhaps or ironically, maybe uh, the Francis's suspicion of and uh, about empires is in the way kind of almost conceding them something i don't know i also think that it's true that he sees things in this in this way but i think he's got a particular thing about the u.s i mean i think i think he's i think i think and that's what shepchuk said the archbishop shepchuk and many 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 people have said it and and of course that spills over as we know into his problems with the, the u.s hierarchy much of the u.s hierarchy not all of it uh i think he's just you know I believe he never, before he went to the United States as Pope in 2015, I understand, and this came from the Holy See press office at the time, so I assume it's true. Uh, he never had set foot in the United States except to change planes in Miami. You know, So he was the Cardinal Archbishop of Buenos Aires for 15 years. Uh, he had dealings with high-level uh, prelates in the United States and everything. He's in, he's in the same part of the world, and you'd think... That's kind of, I mean, that, that shows he really probably wasn't very eager <laughs> to visit the United States if it didn't happen once in all those years. Well, you know, so that's, you know, yeah. that's, there's no, nothing sacred about the United States. I mean, you know, right. it's a right to his view. No, I mean, and, and I agree. I mean, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a universal church. When it comes to the church matters, it's a universal church. So I don't really have a, an issue with that either. Um I, but I I, I I will bring something else up and I'm not even sure if you know anything about this but you know I live in Texas and I don't I don't actually live in um, Bishop Strickland's uh, diocese but it's kind of big news down here the the, the papal visitation um, uh, that took place because Strickland, to be fair, kind of shot off his mouth a little bit about Pope Francis, which is, I don't care what organization you're in. If you're if you're telling if you're telling people in public that the CEO of your organization is undermining the organization, you're probably going to get a visit from the home office, right? <laughs> I don't I don't really have an issue with that, but um, but apart from that, you know, Francis has commented on American conservatives as uh, as being somehow uh, either misinformed or malicious uh, i forget exactly what the uh what the phraseology there was but i can tell you it didn't go over well among <laughs> american uh you know catholics with a more conservative bent and uh, it does seem like again play maybe play into the exact same thing where he's just kind of a u.s skeptical kind of kind of guy and doesn't really appreciate the input uh from the u.s on on these types of matters well, again, Shevchuk and others, but Shevchuk, I, I go back to Shevchuk because they knew each other and because 
uh, and because he's a he's a very high ranking uh, you know leader in the church. But he said, yeah, he said this is he he generalized and said it was an Argentinian thing. Um, but um, I mean, uh, the yeah, the Pope said that there are there are parts of the church in the United States that are backwardist. Uh, I can't I can't remember the Italian word used, but it's translated that way in the official Vatican uh, translation. Backwardist, uh, reactionary pockets. Uh, he didn't say the whole church is like that, but uh, you know, it's 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 no. There's no question that the, that the majority of the hierarchy hasn't adopted his agenda, and we 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 have this on the authority of his uh, cardinals. You know, the cardinals that he created in the U.S. hierarchy, uh, Cardinal McElroy. Has been most probably the most explicit about this, but also Cardinal Supich and, and Cardinal Tobin have basically said we're not going the way that the Holy Father wants us to go, uh, which is to say that uh, you know yes, abortion is a priority, but it's not the preeminent priority. It stands alongside you know migration and uh, the environment and right. poverty and so forth. and so and so they, so so they they we have it on their authority, and these are the men that he's appointed to the synod personally appointed to the synod, uh, and they say. The U.S. hierarchy is not in sync with him, so we don't have to. We don't even have to read his mind. Uh, I mean, we can take it. Uh, they can take it that they're that they're reflecting the Pope's thinking. I think pretty pretty, pretty that, that seems pretty fair. Uh, and so yeah, so he doesn't. And so and now, of course, that doesn't. I mean, that's not the Biden administration doesn't make the policy. No, at least doesn't make the policy for the U.S. CCB. But uh, but uh, but. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's maybe it's no coincidence it's the U.S. But it's, by the way, in, in parentheses, uh, he, he obviously didn't agree. The Pope obviously doesn't agree with Donald Trump about a lot of things. But it's funny that Donald Trump's policy on Ukraine would probably be closer to his, I should think. I mean, he'd probably, assuming that Trump would be less hawkish on this war, which is what the impression one's getting, right? Uh, right. It's it, it's interesting that actually they would be they would be closer on that. I think I think you're absolutely correct about that. I think he, I think that he, they would be closer on that. Certainly not on immigration. Certainly not on other issues. But yes, on that yeah, yeah. issue, yeah, absolutely. I I agree with you. All right. Well, we're almost out of time, and it's been great catching up with you, Frank. But uh, what else are you working on? What else should we be looking at at the Wall Street Journal that uh, that you're working on right now? Well, we've got uh, a lot happening coming up, and of course, we've got uh, this big synod, which we haven't really talked about, but uh, that's starting very soon, starting on October four. Uh, and who knows what will come? And I mean, there's a lot of apprehension. There's a lot of hope on, uh, among some, a lot of apprehension, anxiety, and uh, among others, uh, a lot of certainly controversy. It's a curious thing because these are hot topics, and people are coming from all over the world, four hundred plus bishops and others. Uh, and so it's a very high profile event. A lot of media will be here, Catholic media, but also secular media. But at the same time, they're not, they're, they're, they're trying, the, the Vatican is trying uh, to manage coverage very carefully and only get people to rely on briefings. They don't want people to speak to the press about what's going on in the chamber. So that's going to make it interesting, uh, kind of a challenge to cover. But certainly we, I expect that we'll be, we'll be uh, hearing about a lot of that uh, and, and, and certainly we'll be reporting on it. Uh, also on October 4th, the Pope uh, publishes another encyclical on uh, the environment, sequel to his uh, 2015 encyclical Laudato Si. Um, and I think they just announced that it's going to be called, uh, uh, and now I've forgotten the, the new name, it's slightly different, it's Laudate, um, I can't, and I forget, forget the second name, second word. But in any case, um, 
so that's coming out on October 4th. So that's obviously an, an area of interest. Uh, and um, yeah. Well, you know, having had the opportunity to cover one synod, they're fascinating to cover. Um, I did the 2015 synod on the family and that was remember yeah 2014 synod of the family it was absolutely fascinating the whole synod and synodality thing is interesting we got to get you back on to talk a little bit more about that because we can't do that in two minutes um but it will be interesting to see what questions come up and what questions will not be pursued uh there was a this is just breaking this morning there's a um uh a swiss a swiss bishop say that five times fast <laughs> a swiss bishop felix gemer of basel who is um, wanting to discuss priestly celibacy, which of course is a practice and is open for debate, and also ordaining women, which Pope Francis himself has said multiple times, this is not a practice, this is doctrine, and we're not going to discuss it any further. Um, and just briefly, I'll just ask you this. I mean, are, are, is this really kind of gonna be a free-for-all with the synod and synodality, or, you, or has the Vatican not just looked to discipline the coverage but also what's actually going to take place when all these bishops arrive well all right look it's hard to imagine i mean there are the, the, the one one of the innovations as you know is that a lot of lay people women and men yes. are going to be actually have uh, be able to vote on the resolutions or whatever uh and it's hard to believe and some of them are very progressive and so, so are some of the bishops and so it's hard to believe that no one's going to bring some of these things up as for as for it's important to remember two things i think one is that uh, uh he, he, the Pope has never actually ruled out the ordination of women as deacons. So, that, uh, so yes. he hasn't ruled that out. Uh, he has shown, I would say, less than great enthusiasm for it. He's appointed two commissions and neither of which has led to any changes. Uh, but uh, the, the other thing is that in uh, 2019, there was a synod on the Amazon and then and, and that body voted and that was mostly bishops. <laughs> And that body voted, a supermajority voted to have, to allow, to loosen the practice of celibacy, at least in the Amazon region. But naturally that would have led to other expansion. And, and, and it also voted, a simple majority voted for, for ordaining women as deacons. Uh, and the Pope uh, didn't, he just was silent on both recommendations. He didn't take up either recommendation for whatever reason. Uh, so, um, so will will those come up again? I'm sure, but will the Pope will will the Pope have a different idea this time? I I don't know why he would, but he might. <laughs> right, that's what makes it fun, kind of. Yeah, and uh, yeah. that's the reason why people need to be following Frank on Twitter or X if you prefer at Francis X Rocca R O C C A. And if you're not already subscribing to the Wall Street Journal, you should, if for no other reason to get uh, Frank's coverage at the Vatican. There's a lot of other good reasons to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, but that's chief among them for me. And uh, I always appreciate Frank uh, Frank's reporting. And I always appreciate when I get a chance to talk to you, Frank. Thank you so much for doing this today. No, thank you, Ed. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>